We have spent several months now looking at the whole matter of the wrath of God in this series entitled The Beauty of Wrath. And we're coming to the final messages in this series. As I said, we've seen many things in this. We've studied many scriptures. We've looked at some things that are vital and important and indispensable to be brought to the people of God. But as we uh, turn to the scriptures this morning, I would like to actually remind you of something I mentioned in one of the first messages from this series. And that is that most, if not all, ancient civilizations had a concept of judgment after death for the wicked. Most ancient civilizations knew that the bad guys would get what's coming to them after they died. We looked at the Egyptians. We mentioned the Greeks, the Romans, the Aztecs. You could see it from the American Indians and even from the Indian Indians. Most of these civilizations believed that bad guys got what was coming to them when they died. That even if they didn't get it in this life, it would catch up to them in the next. And here's the sad part. In these civilizations, in these societies, they thought about this. It was part of their culture. It was part of their way of life. It was part of their understanding. And they knew more, or at least considered it more, than many people who are members of the average so-called Christian church. Because in many so-called Christian churches today, the decision has been made not to mention the wrath of God. Not to talk about the judgment of God. Not to say what happens to sinners. We don't want to upset anybody. We don't want to offend anybody. So we're not going to even talk about it. And therefore you've got a whole bunch of people going to church, even today, who have never heard in that church and will never hear in that church about the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the necessity of a holy life, and God's judgment on sin. Well, we have been trying, I hope, to remedy that. I do not want you to be ignorant of what the Word of God says. And so we have been looking at these things. I want you to know what awaits you in the afterlife. Last year we studied even more messages on heaven. And this year we're studying messages not so much on hell, but on the wrath of God that will await the lost. And there are many reasons that this is important to us as a people. It's important to know. Because we believe what the Scriptures say. And we need to know what the Scriptures say. It's important to know because I want you to face the facts of the possibility 
of eternal hell so that you would cry out to God for mercy and not go there. And it is also important for us to know because we need to know how it is we are to tell people or what it is we are to speak to people regarding the truth of God's wrath. All of these things have been part of our study. We, because of the fact that it's not taught so much in churches, began by looking at and considering from the Word of God the reality of wrath. Yes, the wrath of God is taught in the Scriptures. In the Old Testament and in the New, our Lord Jesus Christ Himself talked much about hell and judgment and pleaded with men to flee from the wrath of God. Very powerfully. From there we went on to consider the reason for wrath. We saw first that God's wrath manifests His glory. It shows His might and His ability to deliver. We saw also that God's wrath manifests Christ's glory. And we're going to talk about that again today or, Lord willing, next week. That the glory of Christ is seen as He took upon Himself the cup of the wrath of God when He gave His life on the cross. That's what He was doing there. He wasn't just dying. He wasn't even just shedding His blood. He was taking the wrath of God for His people. The wrath that I deserved is what He was paying for. And in that, He is glorified. We then went on to look for several weeks at the whole matter of how the Holy Spirit takes the wrath of God and manifests that in the bringing of the Word of truth to the hearts of men and women piercing their hearts with the truths of God's Word, showing them that they are sinners and in danger of judgment as they then cry out to God for mercy. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And we made the point even in the last several weeks that what a shame it is that churches think that they can get away with not preaching on the wrath of God and then think the church is growing. Oh, we don't preach on judgment. We don't preach on hell. We don't preach on sin. But our church is growing. We got lots of people coming. Well, they may be coming, but they're not growing by God. There's another one that would be sending people to churches like that. And it isn't God or the Holy Spirit. Because God clearly teaches in His Word that He uses His Word. And the Holy Spirit takes the truth of God's Word, including the possibility of wrath and judgment, to show men their need of salvation. Because that's what salvation is! Being saved from the wrath of God. But today, I want to go on to consider something different. As we've seen these scriptures, I even said, I hope that we have learned many things and come to an understanding of many things. However, I don't want this study to be merely academic. I don't want us to say, yes, I understand that there is wrath 
taught in the Scripture, that there is judgment taught in the Scripture. I see it there. I recognize it. I don't want it to just be in our heads. I want there to be some application to this in our lives. I want for us to have this knowledge and then to use it day by day in witnessing and in living. And so today we're going to begin to consider, if we can get through it probably in two weeks, what I would call the response to wrath. We've seen the reality of wrath. We've seen the reason for wrath. And now we're going to begin to consider the response to wrath. When we see God's wrath, how does that affect us? You remember what Pink said as we began the study where some people are embarrassed to talk about the wrath of God? Oh, we don't want to mention that. We'll upset people. People will want to come to our church if we talk about wrath. Oh, no. We were embarrassed by God's wrath. If only that wasn't in the Bible, people would like us more. Well, is that what you think? I hope not. So in closing, I want to bring to us three things to consider. Three things to keep before us as we think about and remember what the Bible teaches on the wrath of God. And I wrestled with the order as to how to bring these. And I believe that there is one that is the pinnacle, that is the most important thing for a Christian to consider when he thinks of the wrath of God. And I've decided to save that for last. So we're going to go. Now, they're all important. They're all, they're all good and they're all important. But I think we're going to go in what we might call ascending order. We'll start with the one that, that is maybe not as great as the last one. But three things that I want for us to consider this morning. And the first is to increase our eagerness to evangelize. To increase our eagerness to evangelize. Please turn with me, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 11. Matthew 11. I apologize for the little bit lengthy review. We have several visiting with us, and believe me, I only just touched on it. Matthew chapter 11. And what, I, what we're going to see from this is a very popular, well-known passage that people sort of take out of context and fail to recognize where it comes from and what Jesus is talking about when he says it. And from this, I want for us to see the way Jesus evangelized. And let's see if this is common in our day. So let's begin by looking at verse 20. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Now Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! 
For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. These are powerful words from our Lord Jesus as he speaks about these various cities and towns. Many of these were rather populated areas, not really small. Some of them were a little bit larger than others. They weren't major cities necessarily, but they were all, or the ones that he mentioned at least, rather large populated areas. And you think about what was taking place in them. In fact, Matthew comments on it in verse 20 as he says that he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done. They saw what Jesus did. They saw Jesus heal the sick. They saw Jesus give sight to the blind. They saw, in fact, in some of these areas, the feeding of multitudes. As they had a time of healing and people were being healed and people were being cleansed from their diseases. And they were there in the midst and they didn't have any food and Jesus would feed them. Multitudes with creation miracles being fed by our Lord Jesus. They saw all of this. They knew all of this. They knew who Jesus was. They saw firsthand who He was. And yet, Matthew says, they did not repent. And our Lord Jesus even says, That if they had repented, and so they saw all of this, but they refused to repent. They refused to turn from their sin. They refused to recognize who Jesus was. And because of that, He speaks to them about judgment and wrath. And He says to them, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than it will be for you. Tyre and Sidon were destroyed. And what he's saying is that there will be destruction for you. It will not go well. Judgment is coming. You have seen who I am. And you have rejected me. I have brought to you mighty miracles and you have not recognized that I am the Messiah. And there is judgment that then awaits you 
We are unbelief. Similarly, he says to Capernaum, you know what Capernaum was? It was like his hometown. That was his home base where he lived for much of his ministry. And there in Capernaum, they saw and knew who he was. But you shall descend to Hades. And the day of judgment will not go well for you. These are hard words from our Lord. To these cities for their unbelief. They knew who He was. They saw who He was. And yet their hearts were hardened. They did not believe that He was the Messiah. They did not come to Him as Savior and Lord. They had unrepentant hearts and they did not believe. Now, before we go on to look at any more, I see many of you with Bibles in your hands. And I know some of you have Bibles in your homes. And you read your Bibles. And you read your New Testament. And you read about Jesus. You know who He is. You have heard who He is and what He has done. What does your heart Respond to Him. In what way do you repent and believe? In the Jesus that you have read about. Because you've read about all His miracles. All that He has done. You know who He is, the very Son of God. And you know that even beyond this, He went to the cross and died. And you've read in the epistles about what that death was. So how do you respond? What is your heart's response to the miracle performing Jesus? To Jesus who was indeed the very Messiah, the Son of God. So to these, Jesus said, woe to you. And I wonder if Jesus says, Woe to you. You know, the term woe is a term of displeasure and a term of indignation upon your actions. And Jesus was deriding these people, reproaching him, as Matthew says in verse 20. He brought reproach upon them because they failed to to believe they failed to repent in seeing who Jesus was and so he says that there will be Hades and judgment upon the unbeliever and make no mistake that goes for everyone in this room who would be an unbeliever if you mock and you laugh at the things of God and the things of his word and his son Jesus Christ if you hear of these things and fail to repent of your sin and fall on your face and cry out to mercy on your heart from Him, if you remain an unbeliever, impenitent, woe to you, for there will be wrath and judgment. Now I have purposely painted a rather bleak picture. 
Or at least I want you to understand the picture and the truth that there's wrath and there's judgment. That's what Jesus did. Now, look down a little further in the text. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So Jesus is saying that He's in the midst of this prayer almost, that He's praising God, that He's actually hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent. Who are the wise and the intelligent? We have a lot of quote-unquote wise and intelligent people today. And these wise and intelligent people would say that this is a book just written by men and that if you believe in it and follow it, you're a fool. Because we're so intelligent. We know about evolution. And we know about the Big Bang and how the world was created. Don't believe this Bible don't believe this Bible stuff. We know that when people die, they're dead, dead as dogs. There's no life after death. There's no judgment upon sin. There's no God to answer to. These are the wise and the intelligent. And God has been pleased to look at us as babes. And revealed to us in our hearts and in our lives. And yes, even in our minds. That this is the word of God. You know, if some of these so-called wise and intelligent people would actually examine the scriptures. Would actually examine how the scriptures came into being. How the scriptures are. How the scriptures were given and kept. What the scriptures say. What the scriptures teach. And, and how it is absolutely impossible for all the prophecies given in the Old Testament to have come true in the way that they did exactly as God said they would in the New Testament, they would realize that they're not the wise and the intelligent. They're the fools. And we are the wise who believe the Word of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And when you see all the prophecies given by Isaiah and all the prophecies given by God in the Old Testament, and I think of the one that we're coming up on with the birth of Christ and how Micah said in just one passage that about five or six different things would come to be with the birth of Christ and they all happened exactly as he said hundreds of years later. And mathematicians have done the math and have determined that it is mathematically impossible for that to be a coincidence or an accident. It is the hand of God. And in Isaiah, God says, test me and see if I'm really God. Because I'm the God who tells you things that will come to pass before they happen. That when they happen, you will know that I am God. 
So I'm thankful that He's revealed these things to us. And I'm looking around at this room filled with many college graduates. And you're not dumb. You're not ignorant. We're not fools. But God, in His kind providence, has opened our hearts to see the truth of His Word. And we are thankful to Him for that. Because even in this text, He says that it is by His work that He does so. That He reveals the Son to whom He is pleased. To anyone to whom He wills to reveal Him. And for that we humbly give thanks. You want something to be thankful for at Thanksgiving? Thank God that you know and believe His Word. Thank God that you know that Jesus, His Son, is the Messiah and He is your Savior from the wrath of God. But then I go on further. Look at the next passage or part in the passage. Here's where we have this famous text that Jesus says, Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. So how does Jesus evangelize? Woe to you! For the judgment of God is upon you. Woe to you, for it will not go well for you in the day of wrath. Woe to you, because you are sinners and unbelieving. But come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is this consistent with the way men evangelize today? Most of the time you hear them say, Yeah, come to Jesus and He'll make you rich. Jesus began by reproaching them for their unbelief. Now I'm not at all saying that we should go to people that we know that are lost and go, Woe to you! Because you don't believe in Jesus. But at least in our heads and in our minds, we are indeed thinking and knowing that in their hearts, they know that they are sinners. Romans 1 teaches us that. That all men know that they are sinners. The conscience that God put in them tells them so. And we go to them and we understand and we know that. And so therefore, I do think that it ought to be at least part of what we use when we speak to the lost that there is a judgment coming. That they may indeed face eternity in hell for their sins and their unbelief. And then show them Christ, our Savior, the beauty of who He is. And as we will go on to see next week, the magnitude of what He has done as we go on from here to consider the atonement and our gratitude for what He has done. 
But this is how Jesus evangelized. He told them that in light of wrath, they should come and believe. Oh, can you hear him pleading with them? Why would you go to hell? Why would you go to what he said, Hades, when you can come to me and have peace? When you can come to me and have glory for all eternity? You kids need to know this. This is life and death. This is what our Lord taught. Repent. Don't be as Sodom and Gomorrah too. Repent and come to me. For he gives forgiveness and peace. I want to look at another text. Men ought to hear what Jesus taught, and that's where we have that reading from Luke chapter 16. As Jesus makes it very clear as to what is at stake. Luke chapter 16. People, listen to me. This is the bottom line. This is what it is all about. Heaven and hell. Where you will spend eternity. And this is what Jesus taught. Now I already read to you from verse 19 and following the account of Lazarus and the rich man that Lazarus was a beggar who had nothing. The rich man and believe me, as you look at the context, was a likely Pharisee, because you read in verse 14, the Pharisees were lovers of money. Lovers of money. Not lovers of God. Lovers of money. They were supposed to be lovers of God. Lovers of God's Word. But as so many religious people in our day, they had become lovers of money. Send me your money and you will be well. They were lovers of money. And so Jesus speaks of a rich man. A rich man. And Lazarus, the poor beggar. And he teaches them in this passage about heaven and hell. And how they both died. And in verse 23, in Hades, he, that is the rich man, lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. But notice he was in torment. And notice that this is Jesus speaking. This is not me telling you that the Bible preaches or teaches that there is wrath, that there is hell, that there is torment to those who are unbelievers after death, and that it is not a good thing to go to a funeral and say, he's better off now, if you don't know. 
Because he was in torment. And he looks up and he cries out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. He was in such agony, he didn't ask for a glass. Just a drop. Just a drop would have made such a difference to him in his agony. Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount about the flames of hell. Can you imagine? Some of you have had sunburn. We live here in the sunshine state. We get sunburn once in a while. You know how bad sunburn feels? Just imagine hell! And there's never any relief. And there's not a drop of water to be put on your tongue. This is Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. And the rich man cried out for mercy. Have mercy on me, God. And Abraham says, too late. Too late. When you die, it is too late for mercy. But then Lazarus, he speaks of as being in the bosom of Abraham. That is a picture of the place where God is. Glory. And so here we have our Lord Jesus who makes very clear what is at stake. Heaven in glory with God or hell, torment and agony. And people, there is no purgatory. There is no in-between place. When you die, it's done. You go to either the glory of God or to hell. Now, hell, of course, will be when the final judgment comes about. So this is the holding place in preparation for hell, but it still painted the picture as being a place of torment. But once you die, it's too late. The die is cast. You know, it is because of our Lord's teaching in such places as the Sermon on the Mount, as what we saw in Matthew's Gospel a few moments ago from chapter 11, and what we see here in the Gospel of Luke, it's because of our Lord's teaching, our Lord's teaching, that the Puritans and preachers used to preach sermons such as sinners in the hands of an angry God. That was Edwards. But Whitfield would preach powerful messages pleading with men, warning men not to come to the place of God's wrath, not to go to hell, but to be found in Christ. And what do we have today? Because they refuse to deal with such text as this, instead of hearing the wrath of God that would strike fear in the hearts of men, and they had a reason to be saved, There is no more reason to be saved. 
You go to the average church and why would you bother being saved? Because today's sermons are be healthy, be wealthy, be happy, and don't forget to pay us or send us some money. If you send in $100, you, God will send you back 1000 And whoopee, you'll be rich. And that's what, that's what men do. Or men, well-meaning men in churches all around, just talk about nice things. And you know, if you just be better for God, you'll live a better life. And let's talk about how to do this and how to do that. Instead of preaching what the Bible says and instead of preaching what Jesus preached and taught. You see, the Bible isn't enough in churches today. The Bible's too offensive or it isn't enough. We know better and we have other ways to get things. So people always want something from God. What can God give me? What can I get out of your church? Can I get a big, comfortable building? Can I get programs for my kids? Can I get all this stuff from your church? What can I get out of it? What can I get from God? The rich man cried out to God or to Abraham for mercy. Look now at verse 27 at what happens when Abraham tells him, No, then I beg you, O father, that you would send him, that is Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they come to this place. This place of torment. And what does Abraham say to him? In other words, give my brothers a sign. See, he's being just like what so many other people in churches are doing today. We want a sign. We want healings. We want to see money. We want something from God. Give us a sign. And he's saying, send my brothers a sign. Send my brothers something. Verse 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. What's he saying? They have the word of God. Let them hear the word of God. Oh, no, 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 Father Abraham, that's not enough. But if, if someone were come to them from the dead, then they would repent. See, the word of God's not enough. And that's exactly the problem we face in churches today. The Word of God is not enough or the Word of God is not good enough. And there are parts of the Word of God that we don't want to tell people. We don't want to talk about wrath or judgment. But what does God say? They have 
If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. It is the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to save men. If they won't listen to the word of God, they won't be persuaded by signs either. Heed the word of God. And so when we talk to people about being saved, about the necessity of not going to hell and the way to go to heaven, what do you think would be the best way to do it? Jokes? Stories? Or the Word of God? If they won't listen to the Word of God, you realize what he's saying? If they won't listen to the Word of God, they don't have a chance! Because it's the Word of God that God uses to save men. So when we consider the wrath of God, it ought to encourage us to be eager to evangelize because we don't want people to go to hell. We know the truth. We know the difference. We know what heaven is and we know what hell is. We know that they're taught in the Scriptures. And do you want your loved ones to go to hell? If you really believe the Scriptures and you really really believe God's Word and you really know that there is this place of eternal torment and punishment known as hell, do you want your kids going there? Do you want your friends going there? Do you want your loved ones going there? then you ought to be talking to people about the Word of God and about Jesus. You see, the the reality of wrath ought to make us eager to evangelize and to use the Bible to tell people about Jesus. I know I, I have to say this, some of you visiting I don't always preach on the wrath of God. Every sermon is not dealing with God's wrath and God's judgment. However, it is true. And because it is true, and because I know that there is a place called hell, and because I don't want you to go there, I'll warn you. Because I don't want you to be there through all eternity, I will tell you that it's real. And then I will tell you, as Jesus said in Matthew 11, that you can go to Him. Go to Him. Go to Him. And He will save you from that place. That's what being saved is. That's what the word means. Saved from the wrath of God. Saved from hell. Saved by Jesus.
to be with Him. When you believe that the lost will face judgment and the unregenerate will really incur the wrath of God, you will be more and more eager to tell people about Jesus so they won't go there. Keep that in mind when you consider the wrath of God. Use it as a motive to tell people to be saved. You know, some of you have families. Some of you have loved ones. Some of you, some of me, I have. I have brothers and sisters who just do not want to hear this. They are the wise and the intelligent who think that I'm a fool. And some of you have loved ones like that. But yet, when you stop to think about them, whether they're your children, your grandchildren, maybe your parents, your brothers, think about this. They may be with the rich man. They may be on their way to hell. You. Use that. Use that as fuel, as encouragement, as motive to plead with them, to speak to them, to give them a Bible, to tell them about Jesus somehow, some way. Pray that God would open a door. But use this knowledge that you don't want your children going here to evangelize and to tell them about Jesus. Then, when they are saved, what great time of thanksgiving that will be. And you will have more and more reason to celebrate thanksgiving because they're saved from the wrath of God. Let's pray.